Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name Podcast, Sean Connery. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And joining me, as always, is Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital, Katie Atkinson. Hello, Katie. Hi, Keith. How are you? You know, getting through. Getting through. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we have bottomless amounts of chart news <laughs> about Five Seconds of Summer, Jay-Z and Beyonce, XXX, Tentacion, Nas, and Christina Aguilera. Yeah. <laughs> For starters. It never um, ends. Plus, we've got an interview with Dan Reynolds of Imagine Dragons. Dan called in to talk about his new documentary film, Believer, which follows his journey to, as he puts it, speak his truth and to ignite conversation around what our LGBTQ youth are facing in the Mormon religion. And this is coming from a... Uh, one of our few uh, Mormon rock stars that we have, Dan Indeed. Reynolds. So uh, stick around for our enlightening chat with Dan in just a little bit. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Let's talk about some chart news. Katie. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of action going on on the charts this week, a little more than normal. You don't say. <laughs> uh, speaking as someone who works in charts, yes, some some weeks we got nothing, some weeks we got a lot, and this week we have a lot. Um, <laughs> first up, five seconds of summer, or as we like to call them, five sauce, notches their third straight number one album on the Billboard 200 chart as Youngblood bows atop the list, dated June thirtieth with 142,000 equivalent album units earned in the week ending June 21st. Of course, according to Nielsen Music. They are the only band, we're talking band, not vocal group, band, mm -hmm. to see their first three full-length studio albums debut at number one. I have all those caveats in there for a reason, yes. because One Direction is a vocal group, and of course, they debuted at number one with their first three albums. And uh, One Direction has also had an EP and a live album. So we're only focusing on full-length studio albums from bands, people that play their own instruments. Mm -hmm. And you immediately think, wait, 
what about the Beatles? Didn't they have a bunch of number ones? Well, yes, they did. <laughs> but they didn't debut at number one with their first three full-length studio albums. So lots of caveats, but still super interesting. Uh, another fun fact. Yes. Five Sauce, who happens to be Australian, they are the only Australian act to notch three number ones on the Billboard 200 wow. chart. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm waiting for someone to jump out at me on Twitter and say, you forgot so-and-so, <laughs> which is totally plausible, you guys. Because I mean, I let totally, them know. I, let I, them know. I, I totally could have missed someone, but I thought I did counting pretty well. I even went back to, like, the 50s and was looking at certain artists. I'm like, was Andy Williams maybe from Australia? No, it's definitely not. Like, was Lawrence Welk? No, of course not. Um, so, yeah, and so, you know, you might think, like, like didn't ACDC have a bunch of We have of a ones? lot of chart data on Australians, too, because we did that thing with the Australian Open a couple years back. Don't think I didn't look at that. Oh, yeah. We yeah. We, uh, we had the best, the biggest singles, the biggest albums, all from Australian artists. Yeah, so you think, like, oh, what about ACDC? Nope, they had two number ones. Uh, what about Keith Urban? He's had two number ones. Mm. So, yeah, it's crazy, but there you go. Um Five Seconds of Summer, Five Sauce, of course, finishes ahead of the Carters. You know, that, you know, rising, little-known hmm. husband and wife duo of Jay-Z and Beyonce um, as their first collaborative album, Everything is Love. Debuts at number two with 123,000 units. And last week you wrote that it was kind of a race between Five Sauce and the Carters for number one. So what happened there? Yeah, I think we actually kind of sort of teased that on the show. We're like, well, it looks like they should probably be number one. I mean, and that was sort of the common thought. And at one point last week, um, when we were looking at the numbers, uh, most industry forecasters that I was talking to thought that it was going to be a race. And it looked like Five Sauce was going to do like 110,000 units. Um, and this was like the middle of the tracking week. And But people couldn't pin down what the Carter's number was going to mm. be because... It was released on a Saturday. It was a surprise. It was exclusive to Tidal for like two days. And then, you know, it wasn't free on Spotify. And there's all these weird things that made it really hard to predict. But everyone kind of thought like, eh, it looks like it's going to be kind of neck and neck. And then what happened was Five Sauce really engaged their fan base on Twitter, go figure, Mm. and was like, we're in a race for number one. (laughs) And like basically like egged on all their fans to like buy more albums. It worked. And that's what the difference was. So. That's how they ended up getting to be number one. They really engaged their fan base and got them to show up and turn up. Indeed. So next up, uh, in the wake of the death of Tentacion, which we talked about last week on the show, um, and he died on June 18th, uh, two of his albums actually returned to the top 10 on the Billboard 200, and his single Sad vaults to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, on the former chart, his former number one album, Question Mark, jumps 24 to 3, while another of his albums, 17, which peaked at number two last year, rises from number 60 to number seven. Uh, he has actually a third album on the chart farther down, so he's all over the place. I have to say, usually I'm up on top of this stuff. I did not edit the Hot 100 article today. I, I'm just now learning wow. that Sad is number one. Wow, I did not, not expect that. I'm here to bring you chart news, Indeed. Um, yeah, over on the Hot 100, uh, he scores his first number one as Sad climbs 52 to one. So how long has it been since another artist has, has posthumously been number one? A while. Um, it was last. It last happened in 2008 when Static Major, who had died unexpectedly from internal bleeding in February of that year, uh, topped the chart that May as the featured artist on Lil Wayne's Lollipop. Um, Gary Trust, who manages the Hot 100, did a story online, or it's part of a story where he talked about the artist 
that had posthumously had number ones, and the list is pretty short. Um, so in addition to XXXTentacion and Static Major, um, there's also Notorious B.I.G., um, John Lennon, uh, Janis Joplin, Otis Redding, Jim Croce. I'm probably forgetting one or two people, wow. but it's a fairly short list. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, a good number of them had their first number one after they died. Wow. So well, that's definitely XXX's yeah. situation. So, yeah. Anyway, um, lastly, Nas and Christina Aguilera both return to the Billboard 200 chart with their first new album since 2012. <laughs> they like taking breaks. Hmm. Um, certainly Christina. As uh, Nas's Nasir. Is it Nasir? Yeah. Nasir? Okay. Yep. Nasir and Aguilera's Liberation both debut in the top 10. Nas starts at number five, marking his 12th top 10 album. He's got an even dozen top 10s. And Aguilera bows at number six, and that's her seventh top 10 effort. I, Christina has a very long time between albums. I wonder, uh, are we going to have to wait like another like four years or six years between albums? I feel like that's kind of how her generation yeah. of artists do it. I mean, that's Justin definitely waits that long, like four, five, six yeah. between albums. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, well, now, it's time for our interview with Dan Reynolds of, of course, the rock band Imagine Dragons. Uh, the friend of the podcast uh, called in to talk about his new documentary film, Believer, which made its HBO premiere on June 25th. The movie, as he describes it, is essentially about, quote, trying to ignite conversation around what our LGBTQ youth are facing in the Mormon religion on a daily basis and within Orthodox religion, end quote. It's also a behind-the-scenes look at the making of the Love Loud Festival, which Reynolds helped stage last year to help spark that same conversation. Reynolds, who is Mormon, and says that basically every single Imagine Dragons song has been about religious guilt, says the movie is also about him speaking his truth and not living a life that stifles his mind and heart. In the chat, we learn uh, about a lot of stuff. Um, was he concerned about blowback he'd get being a straight pop rock star taking a stand on LGBTQ issues? Did he fear getting excommunicated from the church? There's a lot to talk about. So take a listen to our chat with Dan Reynolds. Welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Dan Reynolds, how's it going, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, it was a, a year ago when we last talked on this podcast, and that was right before the Imagine Dragons album had, had was about to come out. And since then, it's had huge success, hit single after hit single. And you've been on tour seemingly for like the past year, at least since last September, and you're actually calling in from the road, I think, right now. And somewhere in all that free time you have, you decided to work on this documentary film, uh, Believer, which made its HBO premiere on June 25th. Um, I saw the movie last night, and um, I'm wondering, um, because I will do a very poor job describing it succinctly, can you describe to me what the movie is uh, about at its core? It's about um, trying to ignite conversation around what our LGBTQ youth are facing in the Mormon religion on a daily basis and on a wider note within Orthodox religion and how 
certain teachings are hurting our youth and even killing our youth. Um, it, in the film, you know, we kind of watch, it's sort of like a cross between a, uh, like a making of a festival documentary because uh, much of the film follows you as you are putting together your um, uh, Love Loud Festival um, last year, which uh, took place in Provo, Utah. But at the same time, we also learn um, a lot about, it's sort of an expose teach, teaching moment, sort of in a way for those that aren't very familiar with the Mormon church, about the church's uh, views on LGBTQ people, um, as well as premarital sex uh, with you know folks in general. Um, was there one particular catalyst that sparked this whole project for you? Because it's not yeah. like... It's not like being a Mormon is a new thing for you. You've always been a Mormon. So totally. what was the spark that, that made all this happen? I've been meeting with a therapist for uh, 10 years now. Uh, I was diagnosed with depression many years ago. Gone through a few different therapists. And this one that I'm with uh, currently, we really spoke a lot about how important it was to speak your truth um, and to not live a life stifling um, the, the thoughts of your mind, the feelings of your heart, and especially with this platform that I've been given. I've really spent a lifetime um, doing just the opposite. I hate to disappoint people, hurt my family, hurt my culture. Um, and because of that, I've really stifled my voice for the majority of my life. And so <clears throat> one of the things that I talked with my therapist about was to speak my truth and especially about things that I've been holding in for a long time. And one in particular was, was, you know, started probably at the age of 13 when I was in middle school and one of my best friends was gay and Mormon. And I watched the struggle that he had, um, with trying to live what, you know, a faith that he believed, but that was also telling him that his innate sense of being that was unchangeable and, and perfect was flawed. And it was the first time that my heart didn't align with what I was being taught every Sunday, you know, which the other things I was being taught was, you know, be a good person, serve other people, families are forever, you know, you're going to die and be with your family in heaven. All those things sounded great. But this was the first time that I had a conflict about, you know, it didn't, it didn't seem like it was right that my friend wasn't allowed to love in the way that he wanted, but I was. And I, in fact, my heterosexuality was celebrated. And so, you know, flash forward to high school, I lost a couple friends to suicide because of religious guilt. Um, and I ended up getting kicked out of BYU um, because I had sex with my girlfriend. And that is on a small level, that religious guilt that I felt, a very small level, is what our LGBTQ youth feel every single day, which is that their sexuality, which is unchangeable, is flawed. And then they're given three options, which is either live a life of celibacy or uh, enter into a mixed orientation marriage or relationship, which is marrying outside, you know, like someone, a, a gay man marrying a woman. Or three, because that'll totally that. work. Saying, yeah, right. As a gay man saying that, I'm like, yeah. I don't think that'll really work. Right. Both of those options are obviously very healthy. Um, and then the third one is to hide either hide your sexuality and and live, you know, being basically be taught 
that you're living in sin. And all three of those, there's been numerous studies now that have found that obviously all three of those lead to high suicidality, high depression, high anxiety rates. And so at the end of the day, whatever, no matter what people believe and how much they want to believe it, if we just look at the facts, we know now why the suicide rate is you know, eight times higher for our LGBTQ youth when they're not accepted in their home or community. And then you look at Utah, which has one of the highest suicide rates in the nation and is predominantly Mormon. And the suicide rate has gone up four times now, which that's not happening anywhere else in the U.S. Um, and, you know, I've seen people say, well, it's because of the altitude. Well, the altitude's not going up four times. So it's not because of the altitude. Um, and, and so I think religious guilt plays a huge role in it. So basically, uh, sorry for the super long answer, but it's kind of a complicated issue. And, and um, so my goal is to try to fix a broken culture. And I know most people from the outside of religion would say, well, that's stupid. The easy answer is to, to leave the religion and tell all these LGBTQ youth to leave Mormonism. And sadly, that's, you can't do that. Um, because you may be putting these kids in, in a place of greater risk by telling them, hey, leave, you know, what, leave your family? You might get kicked out of the home if you leave the religion. So you're, you're putting them in a, in a greater risk. And, and on top of it, I think me leaving the religion because I'm upset about a doctrine isn't going isn't gonna to help anybody. So my goal is to try to stay in it and try to create change within, from within, you know, and to put out the fire from within instead of just walking away. So, and not to interrupt, but so this has always been kind of percolating uh, within you, this this struggle yeah. and this, but I'm wondering, you know, because when I was watching the movie, you know, it's, it's it seemed like maybe, I, I was I was actually kind of wondering, did the movie start off as something else and then turn into what we saw like did it did it start off as something else and then it morphed into believer or it, because yeah. i was i was watching you read your emails from people and so i'm just wondering like what sort of sparked the actual film itself so so when i contacted the filmmaker um don argot basically what i told him is i am i'm, I'm going on a journey of truth um i've met you know with the therapist this is something that i want to do i need to speak my truth and i want to do it in a way that is using my platform um, to create some sort of something. I didn't know what that was, and I knew that, you know, I, I had dealt with religious guilt. I knew that I was dealing with depression. I, did, I didn't exactly know where that was going to lead me. Um, but what I was tired of was stifling my truth um, for fear of offending, you know, my family, my friends, whoever it was. And so we really didn't have a clear vision of what that meant and where that went. But it, it, it resulted in us sitting down and talking and him saying, you know, what, what, what is, you know, what does your life look like and what are the things that you've held in? And one of the main things was my feelings towards Mormonism. And it's always been something that whenever I talked about in the press, I just didn't want to talk about because, you know, it was something that was of conflict for me. And basically every single Imagine Dragon song to date, for the most part, has been about it, has been about religious guilt uh, from our first song, you know? And, and I think probably most people don't know that because I'd really bury it within metaphors and because 
that's how I've written since I was young, even when I was 13 when I was writing about feeling like, oh man, I don't know if this religion is right for me. I knew my mom and dad were going to listen to the song, and so I didn't want them to know what it was about, and so kind of buried it within metaphors. And so, long story short, yeah, I didn't I didn't exactly know uh, where it was going to go, and then we sat down and talked, and, and kind of the documentary follows the process of me, you know, realizing that I needed to wake up and stand for something and then being quiet for all these years about, you know, things that I was feeling in my heart, I was really standing for, for bigotry as a pacifist. Uh, and I think in this day and age, you know, if, if, if you're a silent voice, especially when you've been given a platform, I don't think you deserve a platform then. Um, because we need people to take stands. Uh, and so for me, this is a real, this is a community that I'm part of that's that's broken and that's hurting. And, you know, I, I want to make a change. I want to help. I want to do something with my platform or else, like I said, I don't think I deserve it. You know, you talk about raising your voice and that's not, I mean, actually that's something a lot of, you know, pop and rock stars, you know, musicians do. Um, but, you know, speaking as a gay person, um, speaking up for LGBTQ issues isn't exactly something that a lot of um, straight identifying male pop rock stars do on the regular. You know, we, we've got the pop divas on lock, um, but um, folks like you, it's not very common. Uh, I mean, what I mean, like, you know, we've got the Gaga and, you know, Madonna's, sure. but, you know, we don't have Dan Reynolds of the world. So I applaud you for doing that. And I wonder, did you did you ever worry about any backlash or stigma, you know, that you might receive for raising your sure. voice? Or were you just like, I, you know, dude, I got to do this? A little bit of both. I mean, I knew that this is something that, that I needed to do and a journey that I needed to take, even selfishly for myself, to speak my truth and, and to just feel free to be myself. Um, but absolutely, I knew this is something that there will be people in the far right that will say this is, you know, too left for them, and they're upset with me. I've gotten so many emails and met with parents who are furious with me. They say, you know, you're going to go to heaven. Or, I mean, you're not going to go to heaven. You're going you're to see God, and God's going to tell you, shame on you, Dan Reynolds. You made more kids gay. I've literally gotten emails from, from people who said just that, and they, that's what they believe. They think that I'm on this journey that's, you know, I've been liberalized by the world of, of music and, and shame on me. Um, and then I've gotten emails from the far left saying, you know, you're a heterosexual white man and you're capitalizing on LGBTQ issues um, to try to make your band more famous. And I think I knew already going into this, there would be people on both ends that would be upset because I'm trying to bridge a gap in the middle. And, and I get it. And like, I, I get it. But at the end of the day, I, I know the journey that I'm on and I know I know that I can make a change in in a culture that is broken. And it, it takes it takes a Mormon, sadly, to speak to the Mormons because otherwise they just close their doors because they've been hurt and, you know, by they're hurt by the Book of Mormon musical and they're angry. And so when people yell at them, they just close the door. They just don't listen. At the end of the day, it's I, I get it. I understand that. But for me, I think it's really important. It's an important story to say, you know what? I'm Mormon a white male who've been who's been super privileged and I 
have been living silently and not helping my community and that sucks and so I want to try to be better and be educated on how to be an ally and this is what it looks like to become an ally and I think that that's an important story to be told and I think that hopefully there'll be other you know white orthodox males (laughs) males and females from from religious uh, worlds that view this and say you know what I can become an ally too and and this is what it looks like and and not be ashamed of not being educated on knowing the correct pronouns and knowing the what that looks like and it might be messy but you know what I, I think that it's important story to be told and and that's why i said you know what i'm usually a pretty private person i don't love having people in my home and things like that and i love my anonymity to a degree but i think that um i think this story is that's all over with now sir yeah (laughs) (laughs) that that anonymity is long gone Yeah. I'm like I I'm familiar with your three kids now. Yeah, I, I, we we know more about you than you ever wanted us to know. Um, I know we're probably um, we're we're running short on time, and I'm sure a publicist is going to jump in and say that you have to go. So I'll try to wrap this up. Um, you know, in the film, we see we hear stories about folks that were excommunicated from the church. Were you ever worried that that speaking your truth and making this film would get you excommunicated? Yeah, I mean, the thought's definitely gone through my mind. I, for it, for me, it's more for my family that that is like, I don't know, I think obviously my mom would be devastated um, because basically what that means is you're you're telling my family that they're going to go to this place in heaven and I'm, I don't get to be with them. And for someone who really believes this with all their heart and soul, which for me, I'm, I've been conflicted about this since I was young. So there's days that I don't even believe in God, to be frank with you. But there's days that I want to believe that there's a God and that, man, do I want to be with my little girls forever? Yeah, that sounds awesome. I would love for that. You know, is there some loving, like, deity up in heaven? Some, I don't know what that person looks like, but are they cool? And do they want us to have, like, a life forever that's that's blissful? Do I want to believe that? Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. But do I know that? No. But does my mom believe every single tenet of Mormonism? Yes. She'll, she'll take that. She would die on the sword of Mormonism. So, yeah, it'd be devastating to my mom if I was excommunicated. And so I've definitely thought about that. Um, but I don't feel like it's going to happen, though. I think I think your voice is too loud now that if that did happen, that would be a lot of that would be a PR nightmare, I think. Right. Yeah. I would really hope that they wouldn't excommunicate someone for trying to say, hey, we're losing our LGBTQ youth to suicide and we need to love them. And then they're like, hey, that's not cool for you to say. See ya. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> not, not not the right message. Not the right message. Stop loving. Stop loving our youth. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, well, we could talk forever, and um, I will graciously uh, conclude our conversation by saying, um, you know, we're going to get a second uh, Love Loud Festival um, in uh, July on July, July 28th in Salt Lake yep. City, and this time. Uh, you'll be joined by Imagine Dragons is going to be joined by Zed, Mike Shinoda of Lincoln Park, and Grace Vanderwall. Um, and uh, there's all sorts of new music from Imagine Dragons and you. Imagine Dragons has a new track with Kaigo that's out, Born to Be Yours. And then there's Skipping Stones, a track that is credited to you and Hans Zimmer <laughs> that's in the yeah, movie. Yeah, crazy. Um, there's, just, there's just so much going on with you right now. So thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk about the movie. And much success uh, to you with this film. And... Uh, Try to stay uh, sane on the road because you're not exactly a not very busy person right now. <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate you taking the time and and, uh, and hope to talk to you again soon. I'm sure I'll see you somewhere soon. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Take care. Oh, 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 o
Thank you again so, so much, Dan. Uh, make sure to check out the Believer documentary, which is airing now on HBO. And uh, the second Love Loud Festival will take place in Salt Lake City on July 28th. And you can check out all the information about the show at loveloudfest.com. And now, we need to come up with another transition instead of and now. <laughs> uh, it's time for the chart stat of the week. This week in 2012, Imagine Dragons, you may have heard of them, uh, made its Billboard Hot 100 debut with It's Time. The single arrived on the list dated June 23rd, 2012, and eventually peaked at number 15 the following January. It's one of those long and winding roads to the peak. So far, the band has collected 13 hits on the list, including the longest charting song ever in the nearly 60-year history of the chart, Radioactive. The cut peaked at number three back in 2013 and spent, well, Katie, mm-hmm. can you guess how many weeks the song spent on the chart? And it still holds the record. Wow. Still holds um, the record for the longest number, or the longest amount of time spent on the chart. And in fact, it- in the Believer documentary, there is a plaque on Dan's office wall oh. that recognizes and mentions how Radioactive is the longest charting oh, song ever. That's great. Yeah. Um, is it, it's more than a year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not more than two years. Not two years, though. Okay. That gives me a good window. I'm going to go with 75 weeks. You're not too far away. Oh, what is it? It's actually 87. 80, man, that is impressive. Yes. That's eight, unbelievable. 87 weeks. Um, yeah. So it peaked at number three, but spent a hell of a long time on the chart. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that proves just how popular Imagine Dragons are. They're my nephew's favorite band. Really? Seven-year-old nephew. Aww. He sings them all the time. That's cute. Um, well, there you have it. Imagine Dragons made their Hot 100 debut this week in 2012 with It's Time. Okay. We've reached the end of our show. Any parting words, Katie? Well, um, let's see. Feels like a very Imagine Dragons-centric show. Maybe maybe we should go out with a song by them that we haven't heard yet. Mm, well, we've already heard Believer. Mm-hmm. Um, we could, I mean, we haven't actually heard uh, Radioactive or It's Time yet because we don't actually play it during I'm the I'm actually a step. huge fan of It's Time. Well, then the, we, the, first, the first hit for them. We can sort of bookend the you know show with their first hit. Love it. See you guys next time. Bye. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.